This is a podcast about new crops. You're going to love it. Join us on The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. Welcome to The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops in Wisconsin. I am your co-host, Elena Voss, with the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension, serving as an agricultural educator in Juneau and Sauk counties. And joining me today as my co-host is George Kepp with the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension, serving as an agriculture educator in Columbia County. Today we have the joy of speaking with Lady J from Raleigh Creek Lavender Farm in Baraboo, and I'm gonna let her introduce herself. All right, hey guys, aloha. My name is, my name is actually Kehaulani Jones, but a lot of people have a really hard time saying that, so I just go by Lady J here on the farm, or Miss Jones, whatever's easiest for people to say. Um, I, my husband and I and our five kiddos moved here, what, about 10 years ago now? We've been here on the farm for that long and uh, have been growing lavender for about eight, seven, seven of those 10 years. I think we're going into our eighth season. It just blows my mind how, how fast time has gone. But I'm originally from Hawaii and my husband is originally from New Zealand. And like I said, we moved here from St. Louis and brought our family here. And uh, it's, it's been a great adventure for all of us. <laughs> It's so wonderful. And I mean, I've been to the location. It is just gorgeous and a great opportunity to go visit um, and knew we had to share your great insight into lavender. Um, so can you give a little bit more background into what lavender is and where it's grown or where it normally is grown? If not yeah, necessarily sure. Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> Usually not Wisconsin, that's for sure. Um, you know, lavender is, we call it a triple threat plant because it's, it's good for like a lot of different things. Um, primarily medicinal. When we think about lavender, we think about how it helps to calm and soothe people, um, calm and soothe people's emotions. Um, but there's a lot more medicinal properties behind it as well. Like it's actually an antibacterial, which means that it's good for helping to fight colds and flus and things like that. And that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of as far as lavender goes. Um, so it, it's great for a medicinal plant. Of course, it's also beautiful in the garden, which is the second aspect of it. In the garden, you know, it's it's deer resistant. The deer don't like to eat it. Though I have seen deer eat lavender when, when there's nothing else to eat out there. But generally speaking, they don't like it. They, they turn up their noses at it. Um, so, and, and also in the garden, like the rabbits don't eat it. And it also has the ability to attract pollinators and things like that. So it attracts beneficial insects by and also repels, you know, the insects that we don't like, like mosquitoes. <laughs> So it's, that's the second aspect of it. First being medicinal, second being um, great in the garden. And the third one is culinary use. So it comes from the mint family, which a lot of people um, have not really experienced lavender, though it's becoming more and more popular. I don't know, if, have, have either of you had uh, lavender coffee or anything like that? 
Go ahead, George. No, I've had some uh, lavender iced tea, but not lavender coffee. Okay, there uh, we go. I went to a program that was over by Devil's Lake a couple years ago at the lavender farm that was operated over there. So um, It's great in ice cream. It's great in chocolate in general, like um, some of our local chocolatiers around here, including Roots Chocolate. She's down in... Um, She's in Columbia County, I think, in the Dells. I'm not is Wisconsin it Dells, right? Columbia County. She right. makes amazing, um, lav an amazing lavender chocolate here in our region. Um, but it's also, the, you know, the third thing being that it's great in culinary application as well. It and um, so we call it a triple threat plant. It's not native to Wisconsin. It's actually typically grown in the Mediterranean. So when you think about the Mediterranean. You know, you're a bit of a drier climate, a more mo mild, moderate climate. Um, definitely don't get quite the weather fluctuations that we do here in Wisconsin. <laughs> but um, if you have the right microclimate in your area, and I mean specifically if you're planning to grow it, um, it can be grown in this, in this region as well. Brings us kind of to that second question there. Why did you choose to purchase that land near Baraboo, Wisconsin? And I, I do notice I drive by your place from time to time that most of your lavender plants are kind of on a, on a slope facing east. So you're protected from ugly west winter winds and that sort of thing. But why did you choose that land and, and here in Baraboo? Yeah, well, we didn't actually choose this land. The land kind of chose us, <laughs> I think is what happened. We were actually in the Dells and we were, you know, we'd moved here just before the downturn of the market, of the housing market. So we were so grateful that we sold our house in um, St. Louis, which is where we moved here from. And uh, we found a great rental out in the Dells. We were just happy, happy as a clam to be not, not owning owners at the time, and then learned that our landlord was not paying his mortgage. <laughs> Regardless, we decided to be proactive and started looking for um, a, a home to actually buy. And at the time there was like nothing on the market. Um, and then we found this farm had dropped significantly in price and, um, and it kind of just opened a new door for us. So. And, and as well, the, the previous owner, Sil Budig, and his, his family, who own, used to own the Baraboo Town Pharmacy, you know, they, they had many applicants that they could have chosen from. And I feel like, you know, that we were so fortunate. It was Providence that we ended up here, to be honest, George. <laughs> anyway, sure. so that's how we ended up here in Baraboo. But um, when we first moved here, we had no intention of growing lavender. It was kind of a something as well that like fell into our, our thoughts and our, you know, in all of our processes. One thing for sure is we wanted to do something different in this area. We didn't want to do cattle or um, corn, which is typically grown in Wisconsin. And, um, because of our tropical backgrounds, we wanted to, to do something beautiful. As we did more researching and, and learning and discovering about lavender, we thought this might be a really great idea. My husband wanted to start out with a plot of 200 plants. <laughs> we ended up starting out with 2000 plants. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, looking back, that might've been a mistake, <laughs> so. <laughs> But yeah. we can talk about those things later. 
Sure. So, so what sparked your interest in lavender? I know you said you wanted to do something different, but, but how did lavender all of a sudden become the thing that you decided to grow? Um, well, we looked at the viability of the plant, of course, to see whether or okay. not it could be grown in this region. And actually, this, the, one, the, our main slope is facing south. So, that's, mm -hmm. so we do have um, a western-facing slope, which, like you said, protects from the east, east winds. And we just planted that hillside about two, three years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and that hillside seems to be doing pretty well, but like I said, it depends on the microclimate. So mm -hmm. our initial plants were all planted on a southern facing hillside and that was kind of our big, you know, we were hedging our bets, but also to hedge our bets because, um, you know, we were, we were looking at something that would be bring life to the land and be beautiful, but also something that we could actually use and create things with and and maybe make a profit well the hope was always to to turn a profit right so with lavender because you can make you can sell it just as a cut flower but you can also sell products with it and that's something that we specialize in here on the farm is making um, culinary products and we make um, a lot of cosmetic type of products, beauty care products with our lavender as well. And a funny thing, our very first year that we opened, that is what people wanted. Like we had this gorgeous field of lavender and people came and they didn't buy bundles of lavender, believe it or not. They bought lotion and they bought lip balm and they bought sugar scrub and that kind of thing. So that was kind of something that we learned early on and another re a, a big reason why we chose lavender is because of the value added products that can come from the product. So you can also, you know, you can sell it just the crop itself and, and not process a single thing. You can also mm -hmm. process it sure. and create a lot of value added products with it as well. So in kind of a bad year, you may still be able to break even or make a profit. So what was, your background or did you have any training that helped you, you know, get, be successful or become successful with this endeavor? <laughs> I don't know if you're, you can ever be trained in these kind of things. It's like the training of life, but I love your question, Elena. Um, you know, I, I actually studied linguistics when I was, I went to college, um, got a, a bachelor's in linguistics with a minors in computers. So I had you know, I have a very wide, a broad background. And then I went on to go get a master's degree in public administration. So, and now, now I'm a full-time farmer pretty much. <laughs> but uh, so, so as far as background goes, you know, you learn a lot as you go, especially I think in the farming world um, or in the agricultural world. Um, I do have a lot, I'm, I grew up in a rural town in, in Orem, Utah, which was uh, which was a primarily farming country, um, since I've left, it's not that way anymore. And then I and then I went to high school in Hawaii, so um, you know had a lot of roots instilled within me about how to take care of the land. Mm -hmm. um, Hawaiians have very very strong a very strong connection to the land. Um, I know it might be kind of stereotypical to say that, but it's true. Um, it, there's a lot of ingrained teaching and knowledge that comes through 
our culture about this connection with the land and the stewardship that we have to care for the land. Yeah, what again, you know, kind of an agronomy background, you or your husband, so that you knew and understand about growing plants and needing water and fertilizer and that sort of stuff. Did you have kind of some gardening background or something that you kind of practice with that stuff first or did you just plain jump right in and said, we're gonna, we're gonna do this? Um, for me, mostly just jumped in. Like I said, I grew up kind of always gardening and okay. it, it's crazy because you think of, you know, every, every garden season is different. So, so, and experience is key when it comes to gardening. And if you say you're, you have a lifetime, so you have only so many chances to garden every season, right? Right. Um, so every, you know, all of those little experiences have accumulated over time. My husband actually grew up on a hobby farm in New Zealand and they did a lot of, of farming things. They had animals, they had, um, they did flowers as well on their farm. Hmm. And so he, and, and by farm, I say farm in a literal sense, like they had, a, they had a, a hobby farm where they would actually you know, as a family, grow and produce things and sell them to people. Um, other things, though, that I, over the years, have gained, like I am a certified aromatherapist, which really helps in learning how to process lavender. Um, we actually steam distilled lavender here on the farm and create essential oil and what we call hydrosol or hydrolates, which many, many people who are not familiar with the natural remedies um, that are out there are not familiar with hydrosol, which is an amazing, amazing product uh, to help heal your skin. And people actually drink hydrosols as well. Um, so I'm a certified aromatherapist and I'm also a certified skincare designer and soon to be certified permaculturist. So this is kind of, you know, as, as we've gone along, I've, I've, I've personally have collected um, quite a bit of knowledge um, as far as lavender goes. Once we made the decision to, to start growing lavender, I attended a ton of conferences all over the country. So um, when we started growing lavender, it was still relatively a new thing. I mean, like it hadn't really caught on here in the Midwest. Um, I think Wisconsin is still, you know, hasn't really got its feet wet as far as lavender growing goes which is understandable. Um, Michigan has, there are a lot of farms in Michigan. Um, we participated, in fact, um, we, we participated in a, a huge study and um, MSU did provided uh, like an online learn how to grow lavender for commercial growers. And we were able to participate in that. So, I mean, it kind of was a burgeoning field at the time. So the information that we learned um, about growing lavender specifically came directly from other lavender growers, other people, conferences, networking, people who were doing the same thing. So with that learning curve that you've kind of gone through, can you take us through, you know, a growing year, what the cycle's like? Yeah, so lavender is a perennial, though here in Wisconsin, it's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> It depends on exactly where your location is. Um, what was it? Three years ago, we lost almost 90% of our crop, which was kind of devastating. I mean, the first several years, it was, it was, everything was awesome. It was just amazing. 
Um, and then we got hit by just fr frigid temps, um, early like lingering frosts. And um, just as those plants were about, were waking up in the ground. And then that same year we were hounded with rain after rain after rain. So the, you know, the plants would have done would have recovered if it wasn't for the rain, but they came out of winter very weak that year. And then we got a ton of rain so that, you know, the, they were not able to resist all the pathogens that were introduced to them that year. But um, yeah, so it's, it's typically a perennial. Um, we, we plant them in the ground. We've tried various things, planting them as really young plants and, and um, planting them as like gallon sized plants. You know, the thinking behind that was like, uh, the younger plants did much better than the bigger plants, which was mm -hmm. kind of an interesting thing that we found. Um, because, and, and I think it was because they were, you know, more acclimated to the, to the climate, whereas the bigger plants were growing up in a nursery where it was very sheltered. Um, as far as fertilizing goes, you don't really have to do a lot for lavender. Um, of course, it does like it does like the normal micronutrients that you want to give most all plants. Um, and and one thing unique about lavender is that well, it's not like unique unique, but one thing about lavender is that it does like uh, higher alkalinity in the soil. So you want to sweeten that soil with lime. Of course, getting your soil tested before you before you plant anything to find out where those pH levels are. Um, so, and then watering as well. So, the interesting thing about uh, fertilizing is that um, the best plants, the best lavender plants, actually grow really high up in the Mediterranean mountains, and they're very very much deprived of nutrition. And um, that is actually what creates a better essential oil. So if you want something with a really high quality medicinal value, um, you're gonna want those higher altitudes, the, you know, um, the lavender that has the higher quality medicinal values are gonna be those ones that are actually deprived of nutrition. And uh, lavender doesn't like water. So as far as watering goes, you know, just here in Wisconsin with the amount of rainfall that we get on an average you know, average summer, you know, it's enough to keep them well watered. Of course, as babies, uh, as young plants, you're going to want to water them just as you would any other young plant. Um, as, as young plants, they need, you know, I, at least weekly watering. Um, and so we do have, we did um, have an irrigation set up for our plants initially, but we found that Wisconsin, you know, it's, it, because of the rainfall that we get, it's usually enough um, water to keep them happy. And there again, you don't want to overwater them because uh, lavender is highly susceptible to root rot. So like I was saying, you know, that year that we lost everything, those plants were weak coming out and then just got hounded with rain after rain after rain that they were not able to recover from that. And then you end up with a diseased plant that just can't survive. Um, so not too much water. Insect management, I think uh, there again, you do have, uh, what are those green little, little green bugs called? I can't think, I just. The Japanese beetles? No, not Japanese no. beetles. They're spittle bugs. 
Oh, spittlebugs, sure. Spittlebugs okay. are, uh, are a pest here uh, for the lavender. They will eat the lavender leaves, um, but it's actually just more of a cosmetic thing. Like they won't really damage the plant. Um, what does damage the plant as far as predators go are moles and voles. So those, that's something that we, you know, have to be careful of, uh, um, of course, because we're, we're doing it on a bigger scale. So moles and voles will actually get under the plants and they'll eat the roots and then, um, and then they're, the plant is susceptible to root rot. And um, of course it's, it's damaged, you know, at the root. Um, weed management, that's kind of a thing that we're, we're constantly fighting. When we first started, uh, my kiddos and I would be out there weeding all the time. And we had the greatest stories. I mean, we would, of course, they hated it. <laughs> but I look back at that time and I'm with, with really fond memories because some of our greatest ideas and conversations came from weeding out there. And if, if any of you have, have kids or have experience weeding in the garden with, with somebody, you may have, you know, have, that, have had that same similar experience. It's just a, a great thing to be working together and, um, you know, doing something together that way. Um, we've, we've put down weed map. We're going to be changing all of that. I, I think I mentioned briefly that I am... I've been studying a lot of permaculture over the past couple of years and will be certified. I'm so excited to uh, a certified permaculturist um, by the end of next month. I'm super excited about that. Um, but one of the things that, um, that I'd like to do here on the farm is um, improve the diversity of the farm. Um, we kind of have over the years have gained a better perspective of what those weeds really are and are learning that they have so much value um, and yet we're just pulling them out and throwing them away and you know things like burdock that I mean who likes burdock <laughs> and yet it's so good for us and dandelions especially you know those things that we are always trying to pluck out and get rid of so we're, we're um, going to be experimenting with better ways to con to um, I wouldn't say control weeds, but more manage um, the wild plants that we, that might overtake or, yeah, overtake the lavender, so. Yeah, I would imagine burdocks, uh, you know, around the perimeter or somewhere else might be okay, but really burdocks, they get pretty big and they would overshadow your lavender plants pretty quickly, so. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's kind of a, a real challenge. Um, you mentioned the spittlebugs, uh, alfalfa, they like alfalfa too. And I know on your farm, you'd have had some alfalfa remnants left over out there where you were planting. So that probably helped to draw them in towards you as well. Yep. And, and really, if you have alfalfa growing anywhere near your farm, um, if you're planning to grow lavender, you're going to have that issue. Those little right. bugs will come. Okay. And we have to hand, we hand pick those off the plants. Um, okay. They're pretty easy to see because of the, right. the spit that they're leaving on the plants. Mm -hmm. um, disgusting at first, but they're, it's like a relatively easy thing just to pull them off the plants. Sure, sure. Moles, on the other hand, those are a lot harder to control. Ooh. Right, and moles and voles are, are a challenge out there. Yeah. Uh, we can find those in some of our fields causing us troubles. 
So how about harvesting? When do you, when do you start kind of your harvest and um, take us through a little bit of that process then, depending upon what you're going to use the, the plant for, if you're going to harvest for oils or just as uh, cut flowers kind of things. I imagine that's two different things or two different times of harvest. Tell us a little bit about your harvesting process. Oh yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that most people don't really think about. It's like, so we do harvest in stages, depending on what we're going to use the lavender for. So culinary use lavender gets harvested early in the season because we want those buds to be pretty nice and tight. Um, what we're looking for when we're harvesting our lavender, and this is this this is kind of universal for, you know, if you want to get the prime stage of of harvesting for culinary use or for um, flowers like dried or or fresh flowers mm -hmm. um, is for that bud to be like a swollen piece of rice. I don't know if you've ever made rice before and you let it sit in the pot for a little bit and it starts to swell just as it's starting to swell up. That's when you want to harvest the mm -hmm. lavender and you can kind of see you can kind of see the bud swelling a little bit and then we ha we hand harvest everything here on the farm um, which we just use like a hand sickle to do that and we take a basket out and and it's it's actually a process that is very enjoyable unless you're allergic to lavender which I do have some kiddos that have some problems with lavender now <laughs> so yeah so now we have to be a lot more careful about that but um yeah so we just take a hand sickle out um we take a, a bundle we just um you know, cut, cut it all off, wrap it around with a rubber band, and we like to hang it upside down. Um, hanging it upside down allows the stems to grow nice and to uh, dry nice and straight, and then it's easier to debud and process the lavender. So early stage is when that bud just starts to, um, um, you can actually harvest lavender all throughout though the season. We like to leave some of our lavender for our bees so we don't harvest at all. So we allow the bees to take the nectar from the lavender mm -hmm. plants. Um, lavender doesn't need bees to pollinate them, um, but the the lavender honey is amazing. So because when the bees are foraging on lavender, they create an, a really amazing honey that that has been, you know, it's been tested and proven that lavender honey has, similar to manuka honey, if you've ever had or seen manuka honey, which is, which comes from like a tea tree plant. Um, tea tree is highly medicinal, great for fighting off colds and it's very antibacterial as well. Um, so because the bees forage on tea tree, the honey has some of those amazing medicinal qualities as well. And it's the same thing with lavender. As the bees forage on lavender, they, they are actually taking some of those medicinal qualities and, and adding it to their honey as well. Um, so we do leave some at the end stage, we do leave some that has, we don't harvest at all. In between, um, you know, when those flowers start to blossom, that's excellent for fresh flowers and um, also for distillation. So distillation, you kind of want about 80 80% of those buds to actually be blooming mm -hmm. which is so you kind of wait to the later stages to do your distillation early stages culinary and cut flowers um, later stages cut flowers and distillation okay just backing up a little bit you know as you talked about cutting the plant um, it is a perennial so you know 
Are there times where you cut only a couple of inches off of this plant? And, and how tall do most of your plants get? I'm sure there are different varieties of lavender and some are taller than others. But, you know, so how long might be the stem that you would cut? And how much do you want to leave uh, above the ground for regrowth? Yeah. Um Lavender is pretty resilient, so, that, so okay. generally speaking, the rule of thumb is that you cut, um, when you're cutting the stem, you want to take the full stem. So the stem actually rises above the bushy part of the plant. And then, um, so you cut, you want to take majority of the stem. Um, some stems are six inches sh short and others are like eight to 12 inches long. And uh, for us, it for us we use the shorter the shorter ones for distillation and and for for processing as culinary okay. lavender, and we use the longer ones for flowers and um, dried lavender. Um, but you want to you want to actually leave not to cut back into the woody part of the plant. So if you think of it like an evergreen bush, which it is. You know, okay. you have, I mean, you're going to trim it back, but you don't want to cut it all the way down to that woody part. Um, but it does need to be pruned every year. Yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I think. Yes. Oh, perfect. Asking. Yeah. Good. So kind of prepping them, you know, the next step would be getting your plant ready for winter. Yes. Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, is there anything special that you do? for that you know you've harvested what you want you left some for the bees i assume those flowers get old and dry die off you know do you, do you have to go through and kind of trim them up to encourage oh, growth for the next year or do you just yeah. leave them be all winter no you're gonna want to trim your plants no we don't do we don't always get to it <laughs> you know i think this is just life gets in the way <laughs> mm -hmm. and sometimes things don't get done on the farm but uh, um best practices <laughs> yes absolutely yep. trim them back and the reason is because of that rain you know the more um foliage that you have on the plant that is like especially the stems and things like that so the the more i guess bushy it is the more susceptible it is to freezing and root rot and things like that. So what happens in the winter here, here and, and really anywhere, but especially here, what happens if you leave too much of that growth on there? And then, you know, we get those uh, fall rains come and then we get a freeze. So the rain came in, seeped into the cracks of your plant and then and then it froze <laughs> and once it freezes it like pushes open those you know oh, all sure. of the the woody parts of the plant so that you know <clears throat> by pruning you're kind of helping to protect the plant in that way when you prune you need to make sure that you prune early so like we're talking like maybe august september you know not too much later than september because the plant needs time to heal from all of that pruning um so, you know once it has created a scab over where you cut it back, then it's much easier for it to survive the freezing rains and the freezing. Of course, we cover, we also cover our lavender to prepare it for the winter. Um, so cutting it back and covering it, we use a frost blanket to help protect it from the frigid temps, just because um, even though we're kind of, you know, a lot of lavender plants are zone four, zone five, and we're kind of in between those four and five, um, 
you, we found one year we tried not covering at all. So this was just experimenting, right? <laughs> and, and many of the plants came back just fine. Uh, but what we've learned over the years is that if you want to kind of hedge your bets, <laughs> you're going to want to cover that, those plants. Because um, you, you, you just don't know what the weather is going to be like from one season, right. you know, from one year to the next when it comes to, to winter. Correct. However, when you cover things here um, like that, and you mentioned you had moles and voles, Yes. Um, field mice are abundant around here and so do you have to do anything to protect your plants from that because they would certainly love to be covered over winter too. Oh yeah and they do and so that's kind of the toss-up you know with everything just like with the weed mat if you put that weed mat down you know you're taking one pro for another con <laughs> um, yeah. so it, it kind of depends on you know for us it depends on what what you're struggling with the most. Um, if you're struggling with moles and voles the most, then you might not want to cover those plants. If you're struggling with winter and freezing more, then you're going to want to take your risk with the, you know, so it's kind of like weighing out those options. Yep. Um, for us though, we found ways to help with the, with the mole population. Um, we've, we have used in the past, um, I don't know, well, my husband has found a really excellent trap. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> and, and finding those, uh, those, finding and tracing the mole tracks is kind of, tunnels, yeah. it's kind of a skill <laughs> <laughs> that you gain over the, you know, you, you either, you, they, either the plants die or you learn how to hunt moles. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, just kind of balancing if you're having a hard time with moles and things like that you know, you might not want to cover. Um, and, and we found that over the years. We've actually experimented, you know, quite a few times covering some and leaving some uncovered. Yeah. Of course, different cultivars too, they'll have, you know, there are over 30 species of lavender out there. Um, only, only three of those 30 can actually grow in our zone. Um, but of those three species, there are hundreds of different cultivars within each one of those species, and they all have very varying tolerances to weather and, you know, they're just like people. <laughs> Some of them don't like to be out there. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are saying, I hate it here in Wisconsin. <laughs> sure. We covered a little bit on, you know, when you're prepping and pruning, you know, for the winter, but I would love to hear kind of just the rundown, like what months yeah. do you plant and what months do you harvest? Like actually a little bit more of a time frame because I think we kind of missed that. And I just think that's important to point out is that it's not what most people expect. Yeah, um, so we typically, you, can't, you don't want to plant until the end of um, the last day of frost. Um, but of course you can get around some of those things just by having a good microclimate and having a good frost blanket as well. So we actually here on our farm, we plant a little bit earlier because the plants, the sooner you get them started in the ground, the better off they are going, going into winter. And that's kind of the mindset that we're taking is that, you know, preparing as much as we can, preparing those plants, acclimating those plants really um, to the soil and um, helping them to be as healthy and robust of a plant as they can be before winter hits. 
Um, so we we plant as early as we can. You know, when the, when the soil is tillable or you know work workable, then we will start you know putting some of those plants in the ground. But usually, they don't get into the ground until I don't know sometimes end of April. Okay. And then um, harvesting. And harvesting. Yep, harvesting. We harvest. Uh, we we actually take our first harvest like throughout July. It's a very short season. Um, all through July, we're harvesting, and then the, some of our plants have a second bloom, and we harvest those in in September, October, and November. Believe it or not, sometimes oh. we still have blooms out there in November. A lot of the stuff. So our season that we're open to the public generally is um, we finish at the end of July. Um, because we do homeschool, so I I need some time to like shift gears and and re regroup. Um, so um, end of July we end our season, and we do some off season events and things like that here on the farm. But typically, all the blooms and things that come after that are are things that we harvest and use for distillation, or that we're using, we're processing and using in products. Um, but you'd be surprised. Sometimes in November, there's still blooms out there. Okay. I just know when I've chatted with other people, they're always surprised to hear that, you know, if they don't get, you know, get there in July, they're missing the mark for it potentially. So, and and no that's true. Them. That's true because July, I mean, it's, it's like peak blooming time. Um, so the plants that are blooming in July, the July bloom is the spectacular bloom. You know, the, the fall bloom is, is like, eh. <laughs> it's like, we're here, but not nearly as showy as, you know, that heat is re really does help those blossoms to bloom. Good. So, so we've talked a little bit about some of the uses of, of lavender. You talked about the culinary uses, the fresh flowers, the dried flowers, the essential oils. Um, it sounds like you do an awful lot of packaging and sales yourself. Um, and so if you want to touch on that a little bit, or do you work with somebody to help you sell some of these products? Uh, or do you just manage and do it all yourself? Unfortunately, George, we're doing most of it ourselves. Okay. So, um, it, but it's been, it's been good. It helps to keep our product authentic. You know, like the stuff that we're making is made here on the farm. Um, and, and a lot of, the, and, and it also helps with our lifestyle because this, uh, farming isn't, and, and, you know, growing lavender isn't our main, um, source of income. I think for many farmers, it's that way, you know, I, especially small farms and we're actually going to be branching out into a lot more medicinal herbs. So last two, two or three years we've been growing um, more medicinal herbs here on the farm. We started with a crop of chamomile. We've added elderberries. We've added so a lot of local, a lot of local things. Um, we've been harvesting nettle here on the farm, wild harvesting nettle here on the farm, and and using a lot of those things in our products as well. Um, so. Yeah, we do most of the, it keeps us small, which might be exactly where we need to be at the, t at the moment, you know, mm -hmm. with, you know, just balancing our lives. But uh, it's been also been quite a big um, undertaking as well for our entire family. Yeah. Okay. 
Sure. And how do you promote some of these products and your farm and, you know, how do you draw the attention and bring people to wanting to utilize your products, come see the lavender? Um, that's mm -hmm. real. Um, farmer's market has been a really great help for us. Networking has been huge. Um, I, we've promoted our lavender through various um, speaking engagements, like gardening clubs and things like that. Um, I've done many presentations for different gardening clubs, um, just sharing with people the wonders of lavender and how good it is for, for you and just allowing people to experiencing it, experience it in that way. And that kind of draws people to the farm. But I'll be honest, our competitors have been probably the biggest, you know, for us as, as a small farm. We were actually the original farm in the in Baraboo area. And then not even, I, I, I think it was, we had opened up our farm and not even a year later, somebody was already in the process of applying for their permits and all, getting everything ready. And then things just kind of exploded in this region. Um, since then, I, I, my understanding is Devil's Lake Lavender is no longer operating, um, but maybe trying to, operate again in the future mm. and um and then new life lavender over there on the other side of w is uh, from what i understand is doing phenomenal and to be honest elena they have done wonders for us in drawing people to this region you know it's it it was difficult at first because you think competition oh no especially when you're just starting to get your foot out the door and we're family owned and operated. So literally we're family owned and operated, mainly because we just don't have all the resources to hire people and to make a big scale operation. Um, so that was difficult at first. And I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. We were like, well, maybe we should think about doing something else, you know, re-innovating ourselves again. And, um, but they have brought, drawn so many people to the area. And um, for that, we're really grateful. And not only that, but like, just brought more of an awareness to people that, sure. not only about lavender, but just kind of this holistic mindset of, of um, what we can do as a community, what we can do with herbs and um, to help sustain ourselves health-wise and so relevant right now, especially. <laughs> sure. No, that, that's cool. And, and staying small and family-owned is A-OK. -okay. That's, well, that's kind of a cool way to be. That's, that's <laughs> all right. You know, yeah, but, you know, I think back, you said you wanted to start with 200 plants. You ended up with 2,000. That's just one zero. That's all that is. <laughs> one zero. I like that. I like that. Yeah, See, you and I will get along really well. <laughs> it's oh. just a zero. That's nothing. Cool. Oh. <laughs> I was on the wrong side of the two. Uh, <laughs> I love hearing about what you know your future plans are for the farm and you yeah. know, the progress that you've made in making some of these you know dreams you already had coming true. Um, and I have to say, you must use your computer background for your website too. Oh, yes. So I, I do the website, like I said, family owned and operated, right? So thankfully, I do have some skills. <laughs> so I, uh, um, I do the website, I enlist my kiddos who are teenagers and amazing on social media to um, help me do some of that. Of course, I, I've kind of trained them on, on how to use some of the Adobe 
software that's out there, which is so helpful to, to have when you're doing social media things. We're not um, as active as we should or could be, um, but we kind of like doing this sort of in an organic way um, where people find out about, about us through word of mouth and, and find out about us through people who really um, espouse the ideas and values that we're trying to um, grow here. I should mention, you know, thinking about progress. So next year, this is going to be amazing. Last year, we started the beginnings of a permaculture garden, and um, we're, we're going to be building more upon that. So we're kind of shifting away from a monoculture where we have rows and rows and rows of lavender. And again, this is because We've learned over the years that maybe Wisconsin isn't quite as conducive to lavender growing as we we initially experienced. You know, like I said, the first three or four years of growing lavender, it was like primo. Like the crop was amazing, um, and and so we're kind of moving away from the uh, a monoculture idea. The other thing is, the other reason for that is people come here thinking that it's going to be like France. And Wisconsin is not France, <laughs> so we just have to want to, you know, make make that distinction that, uh, you know, th this is not we're not in the Mediterranean, and what we're doing is kind of un a unique thing, um, and and it's not surprising that others are not, you know, jumping on board as as quickly as you might think they would be because it is so unique and there's not a whole lot of information and experience of people growing lavender here in Wisconsin. But next year, it, we're gonna be doing that. Also, um, I, I am certified to teach yoga, so we'll be doing a lot more yoga classes here on the farm as well. Um, so we're gonna be, you know, just kind of all along that same mindset of holistic and, uh, you know, learning how to navigate with, with weeds or wild plants, however you wanna call them. Um, and and developing more diversity in what we're doing. Well, as we get finished up here, are there any last tips that you would like to throw for individuals that may be interested in growing lavender? Um, start with 200 instead of 2,000. <laughs> <laughs> if you take away anything, um, no, I don't know. I, if you feel like 2,000 is your number, go for it. Um, I just, I, I think, you know, just, uh, just be adventurous, you know, if you want to, if you want to, to give it a try, give it a try. Um, and there's, you know, there are many, many ways to grow lavender. You don't have to do it the way we do it or the way someone else does it. Um, and, and kind of the key here is with growing lavender in Wisconsin is finding the right microclimate. That's the thing. And microclimates can be created. You don't have to, you know, like, oh, I, I have really a clay type of soil, you know, but you can actually create a microclimate just as you can, you know, with so many, you can create the environment that is necessary. Um, just going to other people's farms is a great way to, to figure out if that's something that resonates in you. I'll tell you one thing though, it is a commitment. Don't think that you're not gonna get your hands dirty or your back broken. <laughs> um, it's, all, it's all done by hand. I mean, if you're ingenious and you can create, uh, you know, a, a, another mechanism that does it, with, or 
maybe you have lots of money. So I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't, you know, whatever, sky's the limit if you have unlimited resources. But, um, you know, don't expect that it's going to be easy. I think a lot of people who are retired are, have this mindset, oh, I want to have a lavender farm now. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of work. Uh, I will not kid you. It's a lot of work. I mean, you look at, if you're, if you're okay with doing hemp, or if you're okay with doing ginseng, because these are both very intensive crops, then, then you might be okay with doing lavender as well. Awesome. Well, I look forward to stopping in sometime. We get COVID out of the way a little bit. My wife and I might just ride down there on a motorcycle some evening, stop in oh, and say hi. I'd love that. That would be We got to get rid of the snow and COVID, those two things. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, <my> sister, <laughs> we might not see you, George. <laughs> That's okay. Well, thanks it's for having me. It's been a great opportunity. I really appreciate it. Brought to you by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension.